No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining in on Talking Bass in PDX. The Bass and Warm Water Forum as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'll be your host. I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. This is your forum for bass and warm water fishing. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about it. Helps us grow. Let them know where you heard the podcast. Well, over the years, I've worked on many projects and events out at Henry Hag Lake. I've explored the lake from my boat, and I've always been intrigued because I see new things each time I'm out there. I've been out the lake when it snowed on January 1st as we were fishing. I've watched the water levels go up and down over the years and how it changes the fishing. I've also seen lots of wildlife running up and down on the shores. This got me thinking. I need to discover Hag Lake. I contacted Washington County, and I would like to thank Elizabeth Higgins, who put me in touch with Emily Thompson. Emily has worked in the outdoor recreation field for over 24 years, and for the last six years as a park ranger serving Washington County at Scroggins Valley Park, home of Henry Hag Lake. Emily's duty as a park ranger includes working with patrons as they spend time in the park and working with other agencies such as Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in order to promote recreation out at the park. Emily will be my first guest as we get an overview of Henry Hag Lake. After we talk with Emily, I check in with Kevin Sertz of Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. We talk about the biology of Henry Hag Lake, and yes, we'll even talk a little bit about spider blocks. Although I know a lot of anglers that fish Henry Hag Lake, I ask Kagan Pankratz to join me as we talk fishing at Henry Hag Lake, and we'll even get into a little bit of kayak fishing. I have several websites in the show notes if you've missed anything, or just send me an email at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. Well, you may want to get a notepad and a pen ready, or just sit back, keep both hands on the wheel if you're driving, and let's get started with Emily. Well, Emily, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for coming along as we discover Hag Lake. Thanks, Don. I really appreciate it. Well, I was just so happy to have you on, and um, I've got some questions for you as I work my way through discovering Hag Lake. So why don't we just jump right into the questions, and we'll kind of see where this takes us. First thing that I always comes to my mind when I go out to Hag Lake is, where did Hag Lake come from? Could you give me a little history about the reservoir and how it began? Yeah, I absolutely can. Yeah, the um, the reservoir was created around 1974, 1975. Um, it was built with the intention of creating um, a place for irrigation water, uh, drinking water, um, and also for flood control in the Tualatin River. So, um, so there used to be a whole bunch of uh, farmland, a bunch of um, uh, farmhouses in the Scoggins Valley. And then uh, when it was decided that, this, that the water did need to be retained, um, the dam was built 
um, some of the houses were actually moved uphill um, and the land was exchanged and, and water began to be retained. Well, that's interesting. Now, can folks look on a website to tell when the reservoir is full or when it is draining down, or is it just one of those type things where we fill it in the winter with rainwater and creek that are filling, and then we know that we're using that for irrigation, so it's going to naturally go down in the fall? Yeah, you actually can find it online, but the Bureau of Reclamation is actually who owns uh, Hag Lake. Um, so if you go online, you look up the Bureau of Reclamation, and you look up Hag Lake, then you can actually find quite a bit of information on there. You can see how high the water gets, how low the water gets. Um, you can see uh, the current elevation of the water, and that's elevation above sea level. And then you can also see um, even a diagram of boat ramps and where, where the water level is in relation to the top of the boat ramp, for example. You can kind of learn um, some more information like that. So, so, yeah, it's available online. Just got to do just a little bit of looking, but the Bureau of Reclamation is where you want to start. So for someone like me, you know, I am out at Hag Lake probably 12 times a year. So I'm probably there once a month for different events or uh, fishing, including January, by the way. But for <laughs> folks who don't go out to the reservoir that much, maybe they go out a couple of times a year Will they see the changes in the elevation of lake of the lake, and what should they be looking for as they're as they're seeing those differences? Yeah, they'll absolutely see a difference, and in fact, we get quite a bit of questions from folks who uh, perhaps they came out in the summer, which is when most most people come out. Um, water was at full pool; uh, there was no um, beach line, if you want to call it that. And then perhaps they come out in the winter time and they see one of the park ranger trucks driving around and, and uh, they you know stop to talk with us and they say well what happened where'd the water go and it actually creates a neat opportunity um, to explain uh, why the reservoir was built in the first place and that it is it's not a natural lake it is a man-made reservoir um, and that it's actually a natural up and down so yeah you'll uh, you'll see the water at full pool. Getting there around May, June, and then uh, slowly through the summer, um, the dam tender will let that water out uh, for the irrigation for the farms downstream and uh, for drinking water, et cetera. And the water will actually be usually at its lowest around November. And so you'll see a lot of shorelines um, and less water um, at that point in time. But, but yeah, it spurs a lot of questions from folks and gives a great opportunity to share, share why the reservoir is here in the first place. Well, that's very interesting because when you're out at the reservoir and you may have been sitting at a picnic table that was very near the water in the, in the uh, early spring or summer, and you go back in the fall, maybe you have a nice day, you may be many, many yards from where the water is now. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could be a good 40 yards from, from the water um, at that point in time, perhaps even more. Um, it's really, really quite a um, quite a fluctuation that takes place, um, and, and very noticeable. You know, like I said, we do get a lot of questions from folks because they do notice that the water is uh, it changes um, annually, 
So, so yeah, you can definitely be, you know, full pool, you know, summertime sitting there right next to the water's edge. And if you come out in November, yeah, you could be yards away um, sitting at the same table. So big difference for sure. Well, as long as we're talking about the water for a minute, let's talk about the safety uh, in and around the reservoir. Um, I noticed that at least at the boat ramps, there are a couple of um, stands that have life preservers on them. Talk right. a little bit about the safety that uh, park rangers like to see and, and uh, how parents can safeguard their, their uh, little ones. Sure. Yeah, we have, um, we have 13 life jacket kiosks that are spread throughout the lake, and um, we, are, we are very thankful for our community that um, they often, uh, members of the community will often donate life jackets or they'll call our office and ask how they can donate um, or the local fire departments will do life jacket collections and then bring a truckload to us. Um, and even more recently, um, Coastal Farm and Ranch um, donated boxes full of brand new life jackets to us. So it was really exciting. Um, but, you know, we want people to be safe. Um, we want them to have, have the resources that they need to be safe. And so we love to keep those life jacket kiosks full. Um, we check them twice a week to make sure, um, you know, that those life jackets and throw rings are there and ready for an emergency. Um, and, yeah, safety is so important. Um, you know, it only takes a second for something to go wrong. And, uh, I, you know, I go swimming after work sometimes, um, you know, in the lake on the hot days, and I've got a life jacket already sitting in my truck ready to throw on um, before I head down to the water. And, you know, I, I swim annually with my friend um, as we celebrate our birthdays in August. And all of us put on life jackets. It, it uh, just makes for a fun, safe time. And um, like I said, you know, should anything ever go wrong, at least you, you've done, um, you know, done what's best to protect yourself to where, to where you're safe, but you can also help somebody else if they're in a bad situation. So things, things are fun when things are safe. Um, but, you know, if, if folks aren't being safe, then things, things um, sometimes aren't fun. Well, absolutely. And I can uh, give you a very quick story on a – um, an accident that, that that happened there that I was, uh, oh, I don't know, three or four feet away from. There were many of us out in our boats. There was a toddler on the front of one of the bass boats. Um, thankfully, they had a life preserver on. They didn't realize how close to the edge of the boat they were, and they walked off the front of the boat. Luckily, wow. the parent was able to reach down, grab them by the, by the uh, life jacket, and pull them right back up into the boat. So no harm. But it, but right. without the life preserver on, without that life jacket, uh, it would have been a bad deal. So I uh, yeah. I always wear my life jacket, no matter what I'm doing in my boat. It's on before before anybody starts the motor, and I would hope that everybody else would follow the same rules. Yep, absolutely. You um you know you can't control weather circumstances, and you can't control um, other boaters and what they're doing. And uh, it's always it's uh, it's always safest to wear the life jacket. You know, law doesn't require adults to wear a life jacket. It requires you know those 12 and under to wear a life jacket. Um, but the safest way is to wear a life jacket, no matter what age you are. So I can think of a time when um, myself and another coworker were over at sea ramp uh, working on one of the docks, and um, we heard somebody holler for help, and we looked over, and someone had tried to get their canoe going and um, had flipped it and was hanging off the edge of the dock. And, and, uh, and luckily the person had a life jacket on and, and just was wanting help to get back up on the dock. 
Um, you know, it wasn't life-threatening, um, but, you know, luckily they, their life jacket was on and they were ready for a situation like that. So, Well, that's great that they, you know, they had the life jacket on before they got down to the water. But, you know, as long as we're talking about safety and that kind of thing, you know, I always see park rangers uh, driving around in their vehicles. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role and, and the other park rangers' role in and around the uh, the reservoir. Yeah, there's there's three park rangers, and there's also three groundskeepers um, that are out in the field all the time and ready to answer anybody's questions or help them find their way around the park. Um, you know, our first and foremost um, um, you know desire each day is to make sure the park is clean, make sure uh, facilities are are well kept, and um, so you'll see us moving around, um, uh, just cleaning up after you know after. Uh, a fun weekend of use, um, and uh, you'll you'll see us working on water fountains or making sure the bathrooms are um, are in good working order. Or you know you might find us working on a project, um, you know doing doing various things or checking the life jacket kiosk, things like that. But um, but yeah, we do, we do quite a bit of things, and actually it's it's really very fun. Um, it, it's really a, just a great environment. Um, from time to time, we'll get out on our boat, you know, check for shoreline litter. Make sure things are cleaned up there. We might give a, a small tour to a group um, and share about the history of the park, or or share about um, you know, let's say the uh, you know the different animals you might see in the park. Um, and we love for folks to have a good time, um, and we love to you know provide the information they need to get where they want to go. So a lot of times folks will stop us and and ask um, you know whether it's the best place to fish or where uh, you know where the where the big boat ramp is. Um, Sometimes we'll get people asking how they can find their friends, and well, it's a 2,600-acre park, and and uh, so sometimes it's hard to help them find their friends when they didn't have a predetermined place to meet. So it's always good to decide with your your friends and your family where you're going to meet before you actually go to the park. Um, a tidbit of information that's always great to know is AT&T service seems to work well out here, um, but other than that, you get a little bit of Verizon and not a whole lot of of other cell service, so it's great to um, for family and friends to communicate before they head out. Um, that way, they can find each other quickly and and uh, have a good fun day. There you, so yeah, yeah we do um, with a lot of different different activities, and and all of it is to is to make the park um, you know great for the patron use. Well, that's great, and and I've always uh, always enjoyed when I see one of the park rangers come by. I always uh, try to chat with them if. Uh, if they've got a minute or two, because they've always got some really great information. Now, one of the other things, though, that I was very surprised to uh, to see was there's like 30 different access points down to the water. And so, could you can you give me a little information about where some of those at? I know where boat ramp A is, and I know where boat ramp C is. And other than that, I I thought that was the two places I could go. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of uh, a lot of access points. Like you said, there's about 30 of them. Some of them, you know, are the large boat ramps, boat ramps see on the west side of the lake, or um, uh, Eagle Point boat ramp on the east side of the lake. But there is a 13.6 mile trail that encircles the whole entire lake, and um, and there's about 30 different pullouts um, that also encircle the lake. And you can pick any pullout, park your vehicle there and walk down to either access the loop trail or even walk past the loop trail down to the shore um, by the water. So um, each of them has a name. 
And you know, if a person were to pick up a map at our um, at our fee booth, which is right when you enter the park, and it'll uh, it'll it'll show the lake, it'll show where each numbered pullout is, it'll show what amenities are there, whether it's restrooms or a trailhead or a life jacket kiosk or a pavilion, um, and each one has its own name. So uh, and actually is numbered as well, going clockwise. So they can be referenced by either their name or their number. And um, yeah, there's there's quite a variety. You know, you can you can pick areas that'll just have you in a nice open open flat you know flat field where you can just get a get a a great look out over the water or um, other pullouts um, really bring you deep into the woods where um, where maybe you want to have a shaded hike. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of neat opportunities. Um, some you know take you into more of more of a creek area where there's some cool waters coming into the lake, which is great for a hot summer day. Um, and then other areas can bring you to um, a big beachy beachy area um, where you can kind of spread out with family and friends and maybe put up a canopy tent. So, so I always encourage folks, um, you know, to just take some time to explore. Um, usually first-timers will go to Boat Ramp C or they'll go to Eagle Point Boat Ramp. But then after they've come back a couple times, they start to check out all the different places that are around the lake and they start to figure out which one is their favorite and where they like to, where they like to spend their time. So it's it's pretty fun to have that variety. Well, that that is great. Now that leads me right into uh, probably the biggest part of our Discover uh, Hag Lake, and that is talking about all the other types of activities that are out there. And you want to, or could you give us kind of a, a an overview of well, maybe like um, the rowing teams or dog walking maybe even a little bit about the uh, disc golf course. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of activities a person can do out at Hag Lake. Um, a lot of people like to fish, whether it's summer or winter. Um, I'm actually very much amazed by people who come out in the most terrible of weather sometimes um, because they just like fishing that much. Um, so they're out bank fishing or they're out on their boat, and, and uh, you know it might be raining sideways, but they're having a grand time. Um, so, of course, there's fishing. That's year-round. It used to be only seasonally, um, but since around 2015, it's now year-round. Um, people love hiking, biking, dog walking, uh, trail runners. We get a lot of those. Um, people love to um, spread out and have a great picnic. We'll have family reunions and such that we'll meet at our, that we'll rent the pavilions that we have, uh, one at Sea Ramp or one at the Sane Creek Rec area. Um, yeah, people love to just really, really get out. Um, it's, it's fun to see, uh, you know, I see a lot of birders during certain times of the year, and I'm always, it's always fun to go um, go say hi to them and see which bird they're watching for. Every now and then there's um, a certain bird that's not normally in this area, but, um, but because of the weather or because of something unique, uh, that particular bird, you know, finds its way into the area, and so you get all these birders coming out, you know, looking for it, and you know there's something special going on. Um, so it's fun to fun to always check in with them when they show up. But but yeah, you get people out um, just really really enjoying themselves. So um, some folks, you know, just like to sit out and watch wildlife. Um, it's not uncommon um, to see deer. It's not uncommon to see elk, especially driving up to the lake. There's plenty of times I've seen a bobcat walk across the field. Um, you know, they don't appear to be interested in humans at all, but it's really fun to sit and watch them. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really neat. You know, we get um, various events that will come out here. Uh, we just most recently had the mud run. Um, so so that group comes out and they uh, they host their event. And 
I think Saturday they ran twice around the lake, and then Sunday they ran once around the lake on the trail. Um, so folks really, they really enjoy uh, making use of the amenities that we have. You mentioned the rowing team from Pacific University. The women's rowing team has a boathouse over at Boat Ramp C. So that's where they, they house their boats, and they also have a seasonal dock over there. And so they'll do their, their rowing practices on the lake. Um, and then from there, they'll go to their competition. So it's pretty neat um, to be able to see them doing their practices and uh, neat that they, they have a, a local body of water that they can keep their boats nearby and, and do their practices. Yeah, absolutely. And I have actually been on the, the uh, lake, uh, I believe we were out fishing uh, that particular weekend when they were practicing. And I just want to throw this out there for folks who are listening to the podcast. If you see a group of rowers, uh, just kind of pay attention. Uh, you know, I realize that if you're in a speedboat or a bass boat or something of that nature, uh, your boat's pretty maneuverable. Those boats are pretty much a straight-line boat. So just, just be kind of careful out there. And the other thing that you see out on the uh, lake from a safety standpoint that I wanted to mention is you see swimmers, and you will sometimes see them with a, uh, a buoy. Uh, I have headed over uh, toward Boat Ramp C and seen many, many swimmers only because they had a buoy. So just be careful when you're uh, when you're out there around uh, other vessels or boats that are being rowed. So just my my two cents there. I was just going to say uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the, the buoys that the the uh, long distance swimmers use um they're great they make the person uh, visible or at least alert you that a person is nearby um you know we'll always encourage you know folks who are doing long distance swimming training um you know to spend time in the no wake zone which is the north half of the lake um or or follow the perimeter of the lake which oftentimes is what they'll do you know to be able to get that mileage in but to stay in a safer safer zone because yeah, it can be it, it can be difficult to to make out one one buoy, um, you know, working through the water, especially if the water's choppy or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, a, a person swimming, you you can't see them unless they've got something uh, that you can see. And then speaking of that, uh, you brought up the the buoys where it's the no wake zone, and you'll see a lot of folks over there. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've seen floating, swimming. Uh, in the water that people will bring behind their boat. Oh, that people will bring behind their boat? Yeah, like their their big rafts and their uh, their other things that you might see in the water. Toys, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We um we get a lot of wakeboarders, uh, a lot of inner tubers. That's probably the most is is uh, folks inner tubing. A lot of uh, water skiers. So so yeah, folks are um they. You know, a summer day, people really love to get out and go fast and have fun and, and uh, you know, splash in the water. So, yeah, you'll uh, you'll definitely see the wakeboarders for sure and uh, and see those inner tubers. And, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a blast, you know, just to sit back and just watch folks. It's amazing some of the sound systems on those boats. You can hear them from afar. They, uh, they're really having a good time out there, and, and we gl- we're glad they are and, and – uh, you know, as long as everybody stays safe. So, so yeah, and, and I mentioned, you know, the wake zone the and the no-wake zone. Again, the wake zone um, where people can, can have the bigger splash um, and the faster boat is on the south end of the lake. And there is, like you mentioned, a buoy line that stretches 
stretches from the Sane Creek Recreation Area across to our Twin Oaks parking area. And so the north, the north side of that is our no-wake zone. That's where we encourage folks with, with kayaks, uh, stand-up paddle boards, um, little, you know, little rafts um, that can't move too fast. We encourage them to stay in, in that area. Um, so, because sometimes, like you said, uh, when it comes to the rowing team and other smaller vessels, if you get a big vessel going fast, creating large waves, um, we've actually seen small vessels go down because someone wasn't paying attention and was creating big waves in the no-wake zone. Um, so, got to be careful, and, and uh, we want everybody to have fun, and, and uh, following the rules is what helps everybody have fun. Yeah, exactly. We were we're always about having fun. Now, the one thing I didn't want to leave out because we're talking about fun, and I've seen this many times, is there are also bicyclists that uh, will ride around the perimeter of the lake, uh, and they'll and there'll be bicycle races too. Those are seem to be very organized. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about those? Yeah, yeah. So um, people love to train um, on road bikes or just go for a, a nice ride out here. Um, they love to train for the triathlons, and we also have triathlons out here at the lake. So we have nice wide shoulders. We actually got the road repaved a couple of years ago, maybe 2018. And so the surface is nice. Um, the shoulders are wide. The lines are, are um, uh, easy to see. And, um, and Washington County has just done a great job of having their street sweepers up, making sure the gravel is off the shoulder and back in the parking lot. So, yeah, we get a lot of people who, um, you know, love to ride their road bikes, and, and uh, you'll see them on the road. The road all the way around the lake is about 10 and a half miles, um, whereas, like I said before, the trail uh, between the road and the lake is about 14 miles. Um, but people love – some people will, will do really long rides. They will ride from far away um, – and, and the lake is just part of their ride. Um, they, they, you know, come from, I don't know, um, you know, an hour away or something like that. And they'll, they'll ride on up and then they'll ride around the lake and then they'll, they'll stop at the lake stop store, have a snack, you know, talk to a friend and then continue on their ride going through wine country and, and they're just really having a, having a good day. But yeah, you will see a lot of a lot of road bikers, and it's always good, you know, as someone driving a vehicle around the lake to pay attention and just know that on the corners you could encounter a bike, and especially on the bridges that have a smaller shoulder, it's good to pay attention and just be ready. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are a lot of people that are using the lake for a lot of different things, so uh, you should always keep one eye watching for others. Uh, I, I think yeah. would be a would be a good thing. Now, we've covered quite a bit about the lake, but one of the newer things that I have seen is the outfitter that you out that you have out now. Can you tell me a little bit about what they have and what they can help us with? Yeah, we um we have a uh a rental um a kayak and stand-up paddleboard rental called the Scoggins Valley Outfitters and it's at Boat Ranch B. It's open Saturdays and Sundays from May through the end of September. And you can rent, you can't reserve, at least not yet, um, but you can rent, again, the, the single-person or double-person kayaks or the stand-up paddleboards from late morning to about 6 o'clock at night, I think, is when, is when the last rental goes out. And I wanted to share a little bit about the pricing on that. Um, if someone were to come and they wanted to just, say, rent for two hours, um, a single kayak or the stand-up paddleboard is $34. Um, if you want to add an hour, it's only $6 more. So three hours is $40. 
Um, and again, if you just want to add another hour, so half a day at four hours, um, it's just another $6, $46 total. So it's really a great deal. And uh, people love it. Um, people, you know, asked, had asked for quite some time if that was something we were going to be doing. And, um, and so we were finally able to, um, to make it happen and, and in a consistent fashion. I, also, I wanted to, to finish up on the pricing before I forget. So the two-man kayak um, for two hours is $46. And then um, if you were to go for three hours, $60. And four hours, $66. So, yeah, again, um, great pricing, and uh, folks love it. They, um, they're so happy to have that opportunity. Um, and we encourage them um, to stay in the no-wake zone, um, you know, be safe, wear the life jacket, and give them a whistle. And then when, when people make rentals, um, we um, – we give them a dry bag to put, you know, items in. Um, we have some very uh, well-priced phone um, phone bags to make sure that the phones are, are kept from getting water on them. Um, I think they're just a few dollars, maybe like five dollars. Um, not very much at all. So a pretty good deal. And and, and there's, um, you know, little incidental sunscreen, uh, chapstick, some snacks, some soda, um, some Otter Pops. Things like that um, that I'm sure you know may change a little bit seasonally, but that we offer as well. So, so it's it's really neat. Last summer was our first summer to open up and um, and, and start that rental service, and uh, people seem very pleased that um, that there's a consistent service now that's offered by the county, and and people loved it. They they made great use of it, and uh, and we learned you know as well, and um, what the demand was, and um, and so we're uh, excited to be open again this summer. Well, that's great. Now. Is there a website that um, someone could uh, go to that would uh, give you information about the uh, outfitter, about the park, about how to reserve things? There is. It's a rather long website, um, but I can read it off for you. And um, and something of note is that we do have another website that uh, we are hoping to get up and running, and it's in the works, and it will have a much shorter uh, address than, uh, than the address I'm going to give you. But our current website can be found at http colon forward slash forward slash www.co.washington.or.us forward slash support underscore services forward slash facilities forward slash parks forward slash Hag Lake forward slash index dot cfm. So maybe that's uh, something you can put in your notes for your listeners and because and, uh, that's a lot of reading to do. That is, and absolutely, it will, if you did not get the address, I do plan to make uh, Emily read it again and uh, I will have it in the show notes. But before we let her go, I'll have her read it one more time just so that everybody uh, will have time to grab a pen as we're listening to the podcast. Now we've talked a lot about um, you know different events and things that happen, but I've heard that there's some other things that go on out there, such as concerts and things of that nature, throughout the year. Are there other big events that uh, that go on? There are. I have to say, COVID uh, put a little or a big hiccup in that. So we had our first concert probably back in 2019. And then we didn't have any concerts in 2020 and none in 2021. Um, but we do have a couple of concerts slated for 2022. 
Um, and and uh, that website is the best place to, to find that information. And you can always call the parks office as well. Um, that number is 503-846-7000. And those two sources can nail down dates for those concerts and who's, uh, who's the venue and who's coming. So, um, so yeah, we, um, we are starting to expand our recreation aspects um, and offering, meaning, you know, when, uh, concert presentations on Facebook, um, having art in the park, things like that. So it's taken us a little bit of time, but we're slowly, uh, slowly working that forward, and we're just getting great feedback from people. So that's pretty awesome. Well, that is great. And, I mean, the facility is so close to um, – the Portland metro area, it's about an hour drive out out to the park. Can you give us kind of a quick overview of the uh, of the directions out there? Yeah, yeah, so we're about 34 miles southwest of Portland. So someone in Portland uh, would probably take um, take Highway 26 west and then um, and then head uh, head south onto Highway 47. So we are about nine miles south of Forest Grove, so about 22 miles north of McMinnville, and the turn off to the lake, and, and uh, this is the most important part, um, is between mile markers 23 and 24 on Highway 47. So yeah, so again, like you said, about an hour um, southwest of Portland, and um, and definitely uh, a place that people love to be. So, yeah, between, again, 23 and 24, the mile markers on Highway 47 is where we can be found. So, And as people are coming into the park, they are, there is a self-serve pay station. Is that correct? And is the yearly passes available there also? Yeah, great question. So every vehicle that parks um, at Hague Lake is required to have a parking pass. Bicycles do not need them, um, but any vehicle does. Um, anybody can simply drive into the park and drive around and check things out and leave, and if they're not going to park, they don't need a parking pass. But, um, but yeah, if you're going to come spend some time at the park, you do need a parking pass, and that is available um, at our fee booth right at the entrance of the park. There's three automated machines there. And then in the summer, we always aim to have the fee booth actually open with a live person there um, Saturdays and Sundays. So the automated machines, they don't sell the annual passes, um, which are good for a year. Um, however, those annual passes can be picked up at the park office, or they can also be picked up at the Lake Stop store, which is just two miles uh, before you get to the park, between Highway 47 and the park. So they also have the annual passes there. So those annual passes, they're normally $60. Um, however, if someone is a veteran or 55 and older, then the price is $40. So and and uh, Hague Lake is is um, you know the place the passes are, are good for. We don't have other parks that require parking passes. So yeah, and and I did want to add on to that that we um, we did install another uh, parking pass machine over at Boat Ramp C. So folks can also purchase um, a day pass uh, over there as well. Well, that, yeah, that's great because. There are times when I when there's a line there at the uh, at the uh, kiosk as you're coming in, and it's like, well, I'm going to go to boat ramp C anyway, so you just keep going, and then you can just get your uh, your pass there. So that's that's great. Yeah, we uh, we were hoping to create that option and, and hope to alleviate those those lines. So hopefully the word will spread that people can buy that parking pass over at uh, boat ramp C, and and uh, we can shorten up that line at the fee booth. 
There you go. Well, we've talked a lot about events. We've talked about the facility, but we haven't talked about what's in the water, and that's fishing. And, of course, that's one of my favorite topics to talk about. One of the things I wanted to ask about, I, I realize that they have two uh, docks or and ramps. One is Boat Ramp C. I noticed on a note that you had um, emailed me that the Eagle Point Recreational Area is another name. Is that for Boat Ramp C or is that for Boat Ramp A? Um, that's for Boat Ramp A. It used to be called A Ramp and now it's called Eagle Point Boat Ramp or Eagle Point Recreation Area. That's that's the, the new name. It, it's been new for a few years now, but um, but those who've been around um, you know, and, and use the park quite a bit um, through the years are certainly used to the A Ramp name. Okay, I will start using it because apparently I didn't read it or didn't see it. That is great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, fishing. And, um, of course, you talked a little bit about bank access earlier, so we'll, we'll touch on that one more time. Kind of give us an overview of the, uh, of the types of uh, species that are there, and we'll talk a little bit about the stocking schedule, where people can find it. So there's there's a handful of species out here. Um, we do have trout, and the, the Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, stocks the lake in the spring and the fall. Um, and we also have smallmouth and largemouth bass, as well as uh, crappie, bluegill, yellow perch, um, and some catfish. And I believe that we have the state record for both the smallmouth bass and the brown bullhead catfish. So um, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, we have a, a variety of fish, and, uh, and it's exciting that ODFNW uh, regularly stocks. Um, it, it's funny. People ask, oh, you know, what, what day are they stocking? Well, they don't even tell us what day they're stocking. Um, you know, they have it listed on their schedule online on the ODFNW website, um, but you'll notice when you look online that they don't they don't give a day, they give a week. So somewhere in that week they're gonna bring out some fish. That way, uh that way the, the boat ramps aren't so crowded that they can't get their truck down there. So so um so yeah, we have we've got quite a variety and, and it's pretty awesome that um ODF and W has a regular presence out here. Well that's great. And uh, you're right, the um the bullhead catfish uh state record still stands. Uh, it was uh, caught out at Hag Lake, and uh, uh, interestingly enough, I happen to know the gentleman that caught it. He was actually bass fishing when he uh, when he caught that. <laughs> he was not uh, catfishing at all. So that was it was uh, one of those uh, one of those catches that we call incidental catch. So well, there you go. Yeah. For folks that uh, that are interested in more information about fishing, as they listen on to the uh, podcast, I'm going to have a couple other guests on. Hang in there. We're going to be talking in-depth about, uh, about fishing here shortly. Anything else that we have missed, Emily, during our conversation? Something that came to my mind is, um, is the spider blocks. I, I have a feeling you're probably familiar with them. Does that sound, uh, sound familiar to you, the spider blocks? Yes, I'm very familiar with them. As a matter of fact, I, I will have a guest on after our interview to talk more about it. But I will give folks an overview. Uh, as you know, the reservoir was man-made. So as they were building it, there was no natural structure left for fish. And with ODFW, there were several clubs that got together, and they have put spider blocks in the... Uh, in, in the reservoir, up in the no-wake zone. 
And these are uh, approved by Washington County and by ODFW, and they are habitat for the fish. And they are very interesting. If you uh, if you go and fish that area, you will run across them. Your tackle will not necessarily get hung into them, but they do look like uh, spiders. They're they're uh, uh, plastic uh, tubing that is concreted into uh, a block. And uh, there is a map of the general area of where we put them, I believe, over on the Outfitters building, or or it's next to it. Uh, there, But there is a generalized map there. And if you contact um, the Oregon Department of uh, Fish and Wildlife, they will uh, send you that same that same map, and you'll have a general idea of where they're at. So they're out there. And, and, yep, they uh, are. Yep, we get uh, we get questions about them, and and that's kind of neat to explain that project to people. Yeah, the interesting uh, thing that I did a couple of years ago was, as we were dropping them, we 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 build them actually right there in the parking lot at Eagle Point, and we take them out in our boats and we put them down in the water, and I believe it's in around thirty feet of water. But we took pictures. We we dropped cameras down as we were dropping them, and we were just watching them go down. And, that type of thing, but within two to five minutes, uh, there were actually fish that were uh, that were hovering around those uh, um, those different uh, habitats. So it's really kind of interesting to watch how fast the fish come in and uh, and use them, and they're there just for that, for the small fish to hide from the big fish, because otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, they they don't make it. So that's that's why we're doing it. Yeah, it, it used to be a once a year project, and of course, um, COVID kind of took that thing out of our, uh, you know, out, out of us doing it. But we probably will get back to it uh, here shortly, as soon as uh, you know, COVID kind of goes away. So, but we'll be talking uh, a bit more about that. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask uh, you, Emily, was what's your favorite event out at the lake? My favorite event, I would have to say, I think my favorite event, okay, there's probably two of them. The first is the mud run, and I mentioned a little bit about that, where uh, where trail runners are running the 13.6-mile loop. And, uh, again, they do it twice on Saturday for those who really want to run a long distance, and then once on Sunday um, annually in February. I'm, I've always just loved trails. I, I, love, uh, I love, you know, mountain biking on trails. I love running on trails. I think um, I think for me it actually engages my mind. I love the technicality of, of the roots and the rocks, and and you don't think so much about running because you're so focused on the obstacle in front of you um, or, or the challenge. But there's also another um, event out here. Um, it's called I'm Hooked, and Will Warren leads that, and it is such a neat event. It's usually held at Sea Ramp. It's usually held the first week of um, first weekend of November which is normally a free fishing weekend, or excuse me, June, I'm sorry about that, um, which is usually a free fishing weekend. And, um, and Will just loves to give back to the community. And so he engages so many organizations who come together for this free event um, where kids uh, get to do so many things. Um, um, the main focus is, is uh, you know, giving them a chance to learn how to bank fish and learn how to fish from a boat. Um, but they also get a free lunch. They get to do um, free activities. There's, uh, you know, a free T-shirt. Um, there's so many fun things that they can do, and it's spread all over the South Sea Ramp lawn. 
And it's just a fun, fun time with, you know, kids and families, you know, just, just having a great time and it's no cost to them. Um, and uh, just such a, such a neat event and so neat to see um, so many organizations come together to, to play a part in having a booth there, whether it's emergency services, you know, giving, giving tours of their helicopter or whether it's Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife who brought out their, their, uh, their trailer that uh, shows um, mountain lions and bears and, and, and different animals like that and, you know, kids get a field of pelt. Um, you know, or whether it's other community organizations that are talking about safety or, or maybe, um, you know, even, even someone who's focused on um, physical fitness and health and, uh, you know, has an obstacle course that the kids can run and, and uh, have fun exercising. Um, but it's really neat, and, and it's a blast, and I, I love it. I love um, just the community coming together to, to give to the, the kids and their families. And, again, it's free, and it's free for anybody. Um, registration's free, so it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, that's great, and I have actually participated in that event, and uh, it, there are more kids there than you know what to do with. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> there sure are, and there's a lot of smiles. Yeah, there you go. So it's really fun. Well, Emily, yep. it has been great talking to you uh, about discovering Hag Lake, and I would like to thank you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Don. I, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you and continue to enjoy getting to know you. Well, I'd like to thank Emily. She put a lot of time in researching the questions I had as we discover Hag Lake. If you see Emily or any of the other park rangers out at Hag Lake, please thank them for all the hard work they do to keep the park looking so nice. Now, let's talk to Kevin Sertz of Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Well, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Don. Hey, I really do appreciate it. You know, as we've been working on our Discover Hag Lake, we've talked a little bit about what's around Hag Lake, what's available to do on the the grounds of Hag Lake, but I didn't really get into the the fishing the way I wanted to. So I wanted to bring you on and talk a little bit about it. For my audience, give them a little introduction about yourself. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Kevin Sturtz. I work for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, and I'm the assistant district fish biologist for the North Willamette watershed. And uh, previous to this position, I was a biologist with our warm water and recreational game fish program. I've been with the agency for about 15 years now. So what you bring to our conversation then is really how the state helps us along with the fishery and and what uh, what the state of Oregon does uh, for our waters. Is that right? That's correct, Don. Um, in my previous role, I helped with um, warm water management, and now in my district capacity, um, we managed the Henry Hag for both trout and warm water fish species which we often refer to as a, a mixed stock fishery or a two-tier fishery. So um, for trout, we stock it um, in the late winter, throughout the spring, sometimes in the early fall, conditions permitting, and even sometimes in the summer if, uh, if conditions are favorable. So essentially we're providing year-round fishery for, for hatchery rainbow trout, which is now possible, as it might have been mentioned in your previous um, discussions with the managers of the park itself, 
is that it's open year-round now, which it didn't used to be. I did want to expand on that a little bit with you, and we do go out and fish the lake year-round. As a matter of fact, there is a an event that has been taking place now for several years since they opened the lake year-round that we go out and fish on January 1st. Now, the interesting thing that I have noticed about fishing out there is that uh, the warm water fish are down pretty deep, and they sometimes are um, not as active. But trout are very active in the wintertime, and I've seen many people catch trout in, in January. Well, we do, we do stock sometimes in January and or there's the potential to catch holdover fish from prior stockings early in the year. Well, that's great. So if folks want to go out, if they're, you know, if we get one of those unusual nice days that we can get uh, early in the year, um, you know, you want to go out and give it a try, Hag Lake is available. Now, the the fact that you're stocking trout out there is very helpful to folks. But can you tell us a little bit about what do, what do they eat? What do they have available to them? Well, the trout that we're stocking out there, um, and I forgot to mention, the stocking schedule is available at um, www.myodfw.com, and you can plug in um, the locations and dates and get a, an idea of what weeks um, the reservoir will be stocked in a ballpark of how many fish and, and uh, what size range those, those fish will be in. Now, um, as, far as, as far as what they're, what they're going to be feeding on, those fish have been reared in a hatchery setting. They're they're uh, they're essentially made for folks to catch, and they uh, they're pretty willing to to feed on power bait, a variety of different uh, different trout lures. Most most of which will work um, after after those fish have been stocked. And then if if the fish hold over or haven't been haven't been angled out of the system, then they're primarily going to be feeding on on insects and a variety of other macroinvertebrates. Yeah, so if they're um, if they check the the uh, stocking schedule now. By the way, if you miss the the web address, I will have the web address in my show notes. So if you've missed it, I will have the the my ODFW uh, website listed so that you can just click on it and go from there. Now let's talk a little bit about warm water fishing out at Hag Lake. Now have you done some surveying out there? I have. Um, in my days with the warm water program, we would we would sample the reservoir in the spring and occasionally in the fall um, every couple years to uh, do an assessment of the population, get an idea of of the abundance of the various species in the reservoir, get a handle on their their age and 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 structure and overall condition. And how would you rate it? Henry Hag is is really one of the premier warm water fishing destinations in 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 our district, and I highly recommend it to to folks looking for a place to go target a variety of species, including largemouth bass, smallmouth bass crappie, bluegill, bullhead, catfish, yellow perch. And as we discussed uh, earlier, the, the reservoir holds the state record for two of those species as well. It, it's, home for the, it's home to the state record smallmouth bass and uh, bullhead catfish. 
Yeah, so it's really interesting that, you know, you've got a reservoir that, uh, you know, is basically being fed by uh, a few creeks, and it grows some very, very nice fish. You know, the uh, like you said, the couple of state records out there, but there's also some very, very nice crappie that uh, that you can go out and uh, and get uh, you know as we move toward the fall. So it's uh, a very interesting um, you know interesting fishery. And is food fairly abundant for those uh, warm water type fish? It can be. We we suspect that um, the large influx of nutrients from all of the hatchery stocking may contribute to some of the productivity in the reservoir. But it also, it, as you mentioned, is fed by a number of um, relatively productive creeks. The reservoir gets relatively warm in the spring and fall. It's, it's, and it's, it's mixed during that time period as well, stratified in the summer and provides some refuge for, for cold and warm water fish alike as um, it's situated um, on the east side of the coast range here in this Willamette Valley. It, it gets it can get pretty warm, but it, it it does provide a unique set of conditions where the original intention when um, it was built was to provide a cold water fishery, but it's really turned out to be more more of a warm water fishery through through natural production and and like kind of augmented with hatchery stocking to provide the cold water fishery as well. Yeah, so kind of uh, expanding on that a little bit. So the fish that the warm water fish that are there are not necessarily uh, added to each each year. Then are they? They're kind of uh, reproducing on their own. That's correct, Don. Um, warm water warm water management of that reservoir primarily consists of or relies upon natural production of those fish species. So I guess my little bit of advice for folks is that if you're out fishing and you, and you catch some nice trout out of the lake, and, and, and I have caught some trout out there, and I have seen some of the larger, what we consider to be a trophy trout, I've, caught, I've seen those caught before also. But if you catch a nice um, a bass or if you catch a nice uh, bluegill or crappie, uh, you may want to take a nice picture of it and put it back. Let it... Uh, let it be there for someone else to catch, although I know that sometimes uh, folks will uh, want to harvest some fish, you know, for their, uh, for their dinner that evening. So that's, that's a great idea, too. Now, because if you go back and look at the history of the reservoir, you know, they basically went through the valley there, kind of cleared that, uh, that area for the reservoir, because originally it was for irrigation. There wasn't a lot of habitat for the, uh, for the fish, but I know that in conjunction with several clubs, uh, and with uh, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, that the, there has been some some habitat put in there. Kevin, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure, Don. For a little over 10 years, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, in cooperation with Washington County Parks and with volunteer groups such as the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club primarily and a handful of others, have been... Um, building and placing artificial um, habitat structures in the Noak Wake zone of the reservoir. been a continued effort, um, usually taking place in the winter when there's not as much recreation um, and more space available to hold the event. But this, uh, this effort, placing these artificial habitat structures in the reservoir, as you mentioned, 
is in response to what turns out to be a lack of habitat available when the reservoir is drawn down, which happens pretty rapidly and for a good portion of the year on on an average year. Um, as we mentioned, the reservoir is primarily for flood control and irrigation, and the way the way they manage it is to draw it down in the fall, keep it drawn down um, part of the way into the winter for flood control, and then fill it throughout the spring. However, in some years it doesn't even fill, and if it does, it starts to draw down on average um, pretty much starting in, in June or July. And what it leaves is a lot of barren, barren slopes and kind of just a muddy, a muddy substrate throughout the, the footprint of the reservoir that was cleared out when, uh, when it was built. So when the reservoir's full, the, the habitat's great. You have a lot of shoreline vegetation and an intact littoral zone. However, once it's drawn down, and it's severely drawn down on an annual basis, the, the habitat is definitely lacking. So, again, in cooperation with the, all the partners listed before, we've been um, placing these artificial habitat structures um, known as spider blocks. Um, for those that aren't familiar with them, they're, they're essentially like a tree stump or kind of like a small tree. And if you put enough of them together in, in a high-density they can act um, very similar to um, like a reef. And so they provide cover for fish. And on top of providing cover for fish, they provide um, habitat structures that um, promote vegetative growth and, and uh, insect production, which in turn feeds juvenile juvenile warm water fish in the system and provides shelter for them um, which helps helps um, them recruit in following years to the fishery and um, we just we've seen a number of benefits from these structures i don't want to ramble on too much but it's a pretty common practice really on a global level artificial fish structures have been used to to aid in conservation of fisheries throughout the world. And there's lots of research and publications um, about the use, the use of these structures to promote spawning and, and survival of, of fish throughout, throughout the world, really. And we've been doing it in Oregon in a number of locations, including Henry Hag, um, for a while now. And it's provided a number of benefits um, biologically and socially. It's a great project. It helps the... Uh the habitat out there, and uh, it makes it a little bit better fishery for the rest of us. Now, before a bunch of you send me emails and go down to tell me exactly where the uh, where the spider blocks are at, I will tell you that the uh, out at the reservoir, at the outfitters uh, area, there is a map out there that is provided, and they will, uh, I believe that it is... Um, up on the wall and under under uh, plexiglass, but you can certainly take a look at it, and you can get an idea of where those are where those are located, and uh, and you can go out and fish in that area. So save your emails. Uh, if you do uh, email me, I will uh, I will give you the uh, the location of where that where that map is at. So that is. Um, 
a neat place to fish. Now, before I um, before I let you go, Kevin, I just wanted you to kind of give me a, an overview of what do you see kind of going forward for Hag Lake as far as the fishing is concerned? Well, we'll continue our trout stocking, and um, we'll we'll keep sampling the reservoir. Um, you know, maintaining maintaining um, our our knowledge of what's going on with the warm water fishery, and um, we're we're hoping to start start doing the spider blocks uh, again starting next year. I think uh, we might have mentioned it, but the last couple of years the efforts have been put on hold um, due to COVID, and because it's a volunteer-driven event, um, we've just we've had to put it on hold until we get through this pandemic. But we're optimistic that we'll be able to uh, continue to participate with our our partners and continue adding um, habitat structures to the lake and potentially potentially do some some natural habitat structures uh, natural habitat um, augmentation enhancement as well with some willow planting if um, we can get enough volunteers interested and get that effort going um, other than that I, I I point people to Henry Hag all the time it's it's one of the premier fisheries in, in my district and it's a it provides a great year-round opportunity for a number of different species well that's some great information Kevin and Folks, if you're in the Portland metro area and you would like to get involved with that volunteer effort, if you'll send me an email at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com, I will find out as we get closer to the date when we're uh, when we're going to do that again because I have uh, volunteered out there for several years also. But I will get a list together, and I will pass that on to uh, to Kevin to get additional volunteers out there because we do spend a full day building the um, the structures, and we do spend uh, about a half a day putting them in the lake. So if you enjoy either one of those two activities, we certainly would like to have you out there. Kevin, I'd like to thank you for your time and and appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, Don. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it as well, and uh, look forward to collaborating with you again. I would like to thank Kevin. I hope that he answered some of the questions about fishing and spider blocks out at Hag Lake. Next on the podcast is Kagan Pankratz as we talk fishing at Hag Lake, and we may get into a little bit of kayak fishing too. Kagan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for stopping by this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Don. Well, you know, we've been working on this project called Discover Hag Lake, and we talked a lot about the lake and the facilities around it, but now I want to get down into some some fishing. And uh, I couldn't think of anybody better than you because not only are you a really good bass fisherman, but you're a kayak fisherman. So can you tell us a little bit, how did you get started in kayak fishing? You know, it was it's an interesting story. I I uh I went back home uh back to Idaho a few years ago and um you know, started fishing with my father again on Memorial Weekend and caught a handful of bass in Idaho. And on my way back to Oregon I said, I need to learn how to fish in Oregon and I need to figure out where the fish are and how to find them. 
And so I started doing some research, found that bank access was, while it's there, can be very difficult to find. And that's when it popped in my head. You know, I've, I've got to get a kayak. Let me get out on the water. And so that's what I did. I purchased a kayak, and believe it or not, one of my very first trips out kayak fishing was to Hag Lake. Um, it, it's actually funny because, you know, being one of my very first kayak trips, I dressed like you would for, you know, being in the water, sun or in, in shorts and a T-shirt, and, you know, in the middle of July in a kayak for multiple hours, that can be a pretty bad idea. So um, while my first outing was pretty rough, I didn't catch any fish. I did catch quite the sunburn. Um, so that was quite my first experience. And, you know, that was just the starting place. I kept driving and, and found tournaments and, and clubs that that were willing to share their information. And it just kind of took off from there. From there. And now I, I really love kayak fishing for all species out of my kayak. Well, that's very interesting. And so for those folks that are headed out to Hag Lake, and I notice a lot of folks that are out there either just paddling the kayaks, but I see a lot of folks out there in their kayaks that are fishing. So I think that's a good, a really good tip. You know, if you're going to go out fishing, whether you're in a kayak or, or in a boat, you know, make sure you're covered up, make sure you've got the sunscreen on, and make sure you're dressed properly because it can be, uh, the sun can be so harsh on our skin it's, it's just not not uh, good for you and and it can make it can make your trip pretty miserable now how did you yeah. get interested in bass fishing so why so how did i get into bass fishing well you know in idaho i was all about trout in my youth but sometime in high school my dad started targeting the smallmouth bass that live in snake river and um he took me out a few times, and the amount of work that you had to do to catch bass was was a hook for me. I hated trolling. I hated waiting for a bobber to go down. I hated waiting for uh, a trap to take my worm on the bottom. I had to be doing something, had to be casting, had to be reeling. And after having them, having that experience catching smallmouth out of the, the river in Idaho, uh, you know, I was hooked. Um it it was such an amazing fight. You know, you, you, you fight the smallmouth, they come in, you grab them by the lip, you take a good picture, and then you send them on their way. It was it was that experience that just drove me into to bass fishing. Um, and it ended up being solidified by, you know, meeting people at the, the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club and meeting people at the OKBF, uh, Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing and kayak fishing northwest uh groups um meeting just great people that were willing to share their experiences willing to share their uh information and enjoy you know a good time out on the water and i you know i just been hooked hooked for life well that's really great i'm i'm very excited that you were able to get into uh, a sport that you're enjoying and and doing very well at now out at Hag Lake, and I know you fished out there several times. In fact, I believe that you've even fished a, a tournament, a kayak tournament out there. What's been your favorite uh, bait, and what rod and reel do you typically use out there? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. 
my favorite bait out at Hag Lake often depends upon the time of year. Um, in the winter, when I head out there, I'll usually fish something um, where they're uh, it's really deep. I can't remember what it's called. It's an ice fishing jig, a uh, flathead jig, I believe, from Rapala. Um, I've been able to pick up quite a few bass doing that in 40 feet of water. Um, in the summer, I love to use the smaller plastics, like a Ned rig or something similar in the grass patches that you can find around the edges, uh, something in 10 feet of water. And then in the fall, uh, you know, drop shotting the um, the spider blocks and different deep cover that are now accessible due to the reservoir being drowned, or sorry, being drawn down, um, are just game changers. In the in the spring, it's all about flipping small plastics into the trees, into those those trees that the bass are just coming up into and starting to feed up on the smaller fish. So I wouldn't say that I have a specific bait, but I definitely have some times of the year that make me call for specific types of baits. Um, it's, it's funny that you talk about tournaments there. While it hasn't been one of the most favorite tournament spots for kayak fishing northwest or Oregon kayak bass fishing, we had my, my first year fishing tournaments, we did have a tournament on Hag Lake. And uh, I was lucky and did well. I ended up placing fourth out of, I believe, eight or ten anglers. Um, it, was, it was a tough day. It was windy. Um, and I pulled all of my fish out of the spider blocks, believe it or not, off of a drop shot rig. We've also had an open tournament there in late March. Um, it was not pleasant weather. We got absolutely poured on in the morning and um, it was just cold and, and less fun than I'd like to ascribe to. But um, in that tournament, I had a, a great partner that ended up catching three fish, and I ended up catching one more fish. And I think out of 15 people, we were the people we, – we won, and I think the person behind us had one fish. So, you know, early March can be pretty di- difficult – in on Hag Lake, but they're still there. So um, I've also been able to do a tournament boat, a tournament boat or a boat tournament on Hag Lake, uh, one of the evening tournaments that uh, 503 Bassers used to have, and uh, I, I actually did well on that tournament as well with my friend. We placed fourth. So, but it was all about finding where they're at. Hag Lake can be a booger sometimes. Depending upon the time of year, some structures not in the water. Some structure is too deep for that type, that specific time of year. So it just really depends upon the time of year and what baits you're going to be using. And then, of course, finding them, getting those locations down. But they've all been fun tournaments, and I fish out there for fun, and I've gotten a whole lot better than the first time I went out. You know, the first time I went out to Hag Lake, I caught nothing. Now I'm pretty pretty consistent at least finding one or two fish every time I, I head out to Hag Lake. Well, very good. And and that is some great information that you passed along. So if uh, folks are going to go out early 
uh, to Hag Lake, and I mean early in the year, you know, warm water fishing may not be what they want to do. There, there is uh, also trout that are in the water, and then later in the year, uh, the fish do tend to bite a little bit better. I noticed that in the fall of the year is even a better time for uh, warm water fish. So uh, it gives people kind of a year-round perspective. Now, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was because you're bringing your kayak out there, there are two launch areas uh, at the lake. Is there one that you like better than the other one? You know, it really doesn't – I don't have a specific launch. Um, I guess, you know, during the the early spring, late fall, and the winter times um, – I'll go to either launch. It, it mostly depends upon uh, what locations on the lake I'm plan on fishing. Um, it, you know, in a in a kayak, we don't have that ob- ability to zip to your next fishing spot. So, you know, if we want to go across the lake, it's <laughs> it's a fair amount of work. So we kind of decide where we want to fish before we figure out where we're going to launch. So if I'm going to fish the dam side of the lake, I'll pick that launch that's closest to the dam. If I plan on fishing the spider blocks or some of the shallower ends of the lake where the the rivers or the creeks uh, drop into the lake, then I'll take the, lo- the launch that is closest. I, so I wouldn't say I have a favorite, but I definitely have, uh, I, I pick which, cho- which, lay- uh, which ramp I decide to use based on where I plan on fishing. Oh, that's some great information because um, myself, being a powerboat user, I, I'm like you. I'll pick either launch, but I can motor from either one in minutes and be where I want to be. So that's an excellent point. If you're going to bring your kayak, you want to look at where you're going to go and try to get closest to it so that you're not uh, spending a lot of time either paddling or pedaling. Now, because there's a lot of folks that are uh, getting more and more in- interested in kayaking, tell us a little bit of, more about Kayak Fishing Northwest. Okay, so Kayak Fishing Northwest is a parent uh, group for three subsidiary groups in the in the Northwest. We have... Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing, which is obviously the Oregon tournament scene. The Washington Kayak Bass Fishing, that is Washington, and that's WA, or it used to be WAKBF, it is now WKBF. And then IKBF, which is Idaho Kayak Bass Fishing. So Kayak Fishing Northwest was our attempt to try to bring more influence from sponsors to the Northwest. You know, the bigger group we are, the more recognition that we can get from some of the bigger sponsors and bring more items, you know, items or money to the tournament scene, which will in turn bring more uh, more anglers and keep widening our sport. The, the groups are all filled with pretty great guys. Um, they all are very competitive and very active in fishing and all want to win, but for the most part, um, they're willing to be, you know, friendly afterwards. It's it's not too cutthroat. 
Um, the atmosphere is extremely friendly, especially in the Oregon kayak bass fishing scene. I know that that was what actually first drew me uh, to to join the group that I did. Um, I ended up staying at a campsite with them, uh, with a handful of people, and it was just, you know, a great bonding time. We, you know, we hung out, we chatted, we went out fishing all together, uh, you know. So it became the group that I got most attached with and is some of the reason why I helped run Kayak Fishing Northwest uh, with Marvin Forte. So, you know, you can, the, the groups are just extremely friendly and great ways to share knowledge. Um, that's pretty much the main reason why I started tournament fishing was to, you know, get more knowledge about Oregon and fishing. You know, who, who knows fishing best besides those that are doing the tournaments? You know, those are the people you want to be around because they know what they're doing. And so that's what my goal was when I first started tournament fishing with Oregon kayak bass fishing. Well, again, that is great information. So if folks have got their kayaks and they've been going out to Hag Lake and they want more information, take a look at kayakfishingnorthwest.com. I'll have that in the show notes. And if you're interested in a little more use for that kayak besides Hag Lake, that might be the uh, the place to go. Kagan, thanks for the interview. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate you having me on. I'd like to thank Kagan. As we discovered Hag Lake, I would like to thank all of my guests on this special podcast. Well, this will put a wrap on it for this episode of Talking Bass and PDX. For show ideas or feedback, email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. And by the way, if you listen to me on iTunes, please give me a five-star review and let me know what you think of the show. I'd like to thank everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX. We'll see you on the backcast. <laughs>